Good evening, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out. I'm your guest host, Krista Kafer, Sunday columnist for the Denver Post. Tonight, we're joined by Patricia Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, David Kopel, law professor and research director at the Independence Institute, Marianne Goodland, chief legislative reporter of Colorado Politics, and Alton Dillard, principal of the Dillard Group, LLC. The parents of Christian Glass received a $19 million settlement this week. It's the largest settlement involving police misconduct in Colorado's history. Their son was shot and killed last year by a Clear Creek County Sheriff's deputy during a mental health crisis. Will this settlement change how officers handle similar incidents and prevent the senseless loss of life? Patty. Well, you would hope that just his death has already changed how things ha happen. It was such an egregious case on top of years of publicity about bad cases. But Christian Glass was a troubled young man who liked to drive and hike in the mountains. He called for help because he was having an episode. He was locked inside his car when they arrived. There was a knife by him, but you can't really stab someone through a locked car, as far as I can tell. And you could, what the Clear Creek people who responded were just not prepared to deal with it in so many ways. You could have waited it out, but obviously someone got tired, jumped the gun, and they wound up killing this kid because of transparency, because of body cameras. I mean, it took a little while for the news to get out, but there was, this is the fastest settlement we've seen in a long time, and certainly the biggest settlement we've seen. What's also important is there's the agreement for training, the agreement for the apology, and that his parents will be able to talk to people in training so they know just what ramifications their actions can have. So training, David, is it's important because not only do they have to be able to handle situations with mental health episodes, but also still be able to go after uh, criminals and 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 do that side of the police of policing. What do you think they need to do differently? Well, what they were already planning to do, which was the Clear Creek County Sheriff's Office, um, had already gone to the county commissioners and gotten the approval to try to get somebody to, to help them do this kind of crisis response because. Police officers are not psychiatrists and psychologists. And this was somebody who got his car stuck, called for help, but then, as Patty was saying, because of, of mental problems, you know, happened to be terrified of the police officers who showed up because he'd called them for help. Um, and, and everybody made a lot of bad decisions. Uh, and so if you'd had a somebody with psychological training available, they might have had a, a way to to get inside his head better and and help to de-escalate it. Uh, but you know, it's a small mountain county, and they didn't. You know, I think they've been looking for somebody, and and even the settlement says it's not till 2025 because they understand how hard it is uh, for rural counties to to have these kind of professionals available. If the parents had not received the footage uh, from the body cams, they would have not known what really happened and been able to get the settlement and hopefully force the changes that need to be made. Marianne, tell us a little bit about the victory for transparency. And I do think it is a victory for transparency. The, the sad part, of course, is how long it took for all of this to actually come to light and for everyone to find out exactly what really happened. But this kind of transparency cannot be limited to this one uh, shooting. We, this seems to be a problem all over the place where body camera footage that shows misconduct by police officers 
doesn't come out fast enough, if at all. And, and I think that that's a real concern that, that police agencies need to look at going forward is to make sure the body cameras are turned on and that they're used appropriately. I'm not sure that we're seeing enough of that. And until we get a better look at these things, um, I don't think there's enough transparency and I think we're still gonna have problems with this. Alton, as we look at this piece of the reform puzzle, do you, see, do you, do you feel hope that things are going to get better? I'm still a little skeptical because I think this goes all the way back to the level of like post training that officers receive and see as somebody whose mother had to have the talk with him as a 12 year old about how you conduct yourself when you come into contact with law enforcement. I just think that there's going to continue to be this issue. And thank goodness for body cams. Thank goodness for cell phones. Or a lot of people would still think this is anecdotal. But to the point that was made earlier, there's so much of this going on. Look at the payouts from the DPD. Look at what happened, you know, with them, you know, shooting into crowds. Look what happened with Elijah McClain. Mm -hmm. And I always hear the, well, every sector has this bad apples argument, but when the law enforcement sector has bad apples, people get maimed and people die. It's interesting. So um, Governor Jared Polis called it Christian Glass Day on Wednesday. And we have to remember, this is a statewide effort. Clear Creek is not the moon. Clear, they could have, given how long this went on, you would think that there could have been some metro cooperation. Someone in the metro area should have had the ability to understand what kind of issues there were, were involved and could go up and play the waiting game and help him deal with it. Um, but the body camera issue is also critical. You think about it, Elijah McClain, the body cameras just somehow went off or malfunctioned during that amazing episode. And look at how long the settlement took on that case. Water, water everywhere, but not quite enough to drink. It's been a wet year, but long term, the West is getting drier and drier. 40 million people in seven states depend on the Colorado River, whose flows have dropped substantially. Pressure from the federal government has caused seven states to come to an agreement on short-term water reductions, at least for the lower basin. But will it be enough? David. Well, it, it cuts uh, water consumption by 13%, as you said, in the, in the lower Colorado River Basin, which is below Lake Powell, uh, Arizona, Nevada, and uh, California. Now, most of that reduction is paid for by the federal government paying farmers not to use their water rights or to use less. So that can't go on forever because the federal deficit spending can't go on forever. So long term. California's going to have to get much more serious about desalination. They've got all the water in the world right there on the Pacific Ocean. They just need to uh, take the salt out and they can use it plentifully. San Diego already does. Uh, worldwide, there are 18,000 desalination plants uh, uh, providing water for 300 million people. Uh, second, we maybe need to rethink one of the errors of the Clinton administration where they took a lot of water out of the uh, before it even got to Lake Powell and, and diverted it for nature and recreation. Uh, but it, it's needed for human beings right now. Um, and then third, we've got a problem here in Colorado. We're the only state that actually doesn't use all of the water it's allocated under the Colorado River Compact. 
but our, our flows in are greatly reduced because so many decades of fire suppression in the mountains have led to the forests getting excessively dense. And then when you have excessive density of trees, they use up a lot of water and so it never gets into the Colorado River in the first place. This really is not a seven state agreement. Um, if you look at the statement that was issued by the Upper Colorado River Commission, which includes the four states, including Colorado, they said that they would support sending it off to the federal government, but they can't endorse it because they hadn't seen it. The Upper Colorado River Commission and those four states have decided they're really not going to be players in this situation. They have said, we've already given up all the water that we need to give up. We've done our part. Well, that means that they're going to get left out of the conversation. And, this, and that means that the lower basin states are really going to be the driver of this. The other thing that's, that's pretty appalling about this agreement is that it was for 1 million acre feet per year for three years. The, a year ago, the commissioner of the Bureau of Reclamation issued an edict to the seven states that said come up with two to four million acre feet per year. And what we got was three million acre feet over three years. Is that enough to keep Lake Powell and Lake Mead, most importantly, uh, providing water to the lower basin states and providing hydropower? We're in the 23rd, 24th year of a drought. We got lucky this year with the snowpack, but this, this, this year is an outlier. And this agreement is supposed to get us to 2026. Will this get us to 2026? The people I'm talking to say no. And we're gonna be right back in the same boat before this, this time runs out. Now it sounds like it's a lack of holistic thinking between the states and also looking long-term. Alton, what do you think needs to be done? Well, as they say in the West, uh, whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. And man, this is a classic example because I was looking at this sort of from that sort of state's rights end where the feds finally said, okay, we've tried it your way for many years. It's not working, so now we're gonna try it our way. And so, especially with the sort of in-depth reporting that Marianne's done on this issue, and to also to your point, David, I was just recently in California. And so when you're hearing drought while you're looking over a horizon of nothing but water, yeah, they definitely need to get into desalinization. That is just all that that's going to take. So, I just think that when it comes to that particular issue with the you know water coming downstream and everything, this solution is a Band-Aid on top of a Band-Aid and they're going to have to come to some kind of an agreement that's going to be sustainable in this context. Patty, what do you think needs to be done? Well, the golf courses are gone from Arizona. I mean, we'll begin to see really people rationing much more than they have before. It's unfortunate when it's the farmers when instead there are, you could get rid of the lawns, you could get rid of the golf courses. You can really realize we're in the West, we're in the desert West, and it is time to start living that way. But with the growth that's still happening in Arizona, in parts of California, in parts of Nevada, there is, the, the demand is so huge, and this is just literally a drop in the bucket of what is gonna have to be done for long-term sustainability. Desalinization is one of the plans. You like it when people are saying, let's take it from the Midwest, let's take it from all those rivers that have plenty, but imagine trying to transport all that water over here. So it's gonna take an entire shift on how we think about our scarce resources. One, one thing to keep in mind in that shift is the Federal Bureau of Reclamation doesn't own the water. The water rights belong to the upper basin states. 
the Bureau of Reclamation owns the dams and controls them, but it's not their water. And so this purported edict that Marion mentioned, you know, the, the, I could order all the people in Denver to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning on Saturday and watch cartoons, but it's not a valid legal order, uh, and they have, no, they have no power, no authority to uh, decide the allocation of water rights in the upper basin. The one, the one thing that I would love for people to remember, and I have heard this repeatedly <clears throat> from people in the Colorado River uh, Basin management, is that the people in the Front Range need to be aware that every time you open up a tap and you turn on your water, half of that water came from the Colorado River, so it falls upon everyone to be smarter about their water use, even if we can't get the upper basin states to, to work collaboratively in the way that they might be expected to. I couldn't have said it better. A lot of solutions on the table. Uh, speaking of needing some solutions, the Colorado GOP um, is having a little bit of an issue. They, uh, they had any employees last month. Uh, they didn't get a paycheck. It's the first time in two decades that the Colorado Republican Party did not issue paychecks um, back when Dave Williams was selected chairman. Some wondered whether this far-right 2020 election denier would be problematic for the party. Is money trouble a sign that uh, perhaps it uh, is just that? Marianne. I, I think it definitely does uh, portend some some really difficult times ahead for the Republican Party. If you look at the campaign fundraising over the last two election cycles, and I'm talking about uh, 2020 and 2022, Republicans that raised the most money were not the election deniers, Tina Peters sort of was standing because she gets all her money from Mike Lindell, but, or, or his friends. Um, you saw money going toward people who are a little bit more moderate in the party, and it, it didn't accomplish them anything, but I, I've seen signs in the past when I've read campaign finance reports that donors, the, and, and this pertains to the big ticket donors uh, for the Republican Party, are backing away t to some extent uh, with both with the lack of success and with the party's direction. I think the party needs, to, needs some soul searching that it is not uh, willing to engage in right now. And things aren't going to get better. They're going to get worse. What do you think needs to change at the Colorado GOP? A variety of things need to change. One, first and foremost, is they are teetering on the brink of irrelevancy. There is a reason that unaffiliateds have the plurality in the state of Colorado, and that really plays into it a little bit. Whatever happened to the party of Lincoln? The party of, hey, let's take home a little more of our hard-earned money. Let's support veterans. Let's support small business. Let's have safe neighborhoods. What happened to what used to be a quote-unquote mainstream message? And going back to the whole election denial thing, I still <clears throat> take that very personally because that narrative ruined people's lives. And so trying to localize it to Colorado, they just need to understand that it's okay to be conservative, but you don't have to be off the rails. And until the Colorado GOP thinks in those terms, they may not ever become relevant again. Well, and Democrats have given them the opportunity. They've done some pretty radical things this last legislature that Republicans could use if they could simply get off the Trump message. What advice would you give to them? Well, let's see. First of all, 
dry up and go away. I mean, this is basically what's happening right now with the party. You didn't need to find out that people weren't getting paychecks to know that the Colorado Republican Party, the organized Colorado Republican Party, is in trouble. You just needed to look at the results from the last elections. Even in Colorado Springs, which was with the mayoral race, which was such an interesting race, it showed that Coloradans, I think, are always willing to consider an interesting, smart, unusual candidate who might not have traditional party background. But Coloradans are not willing to put up with this election denier malarkey that we've heard over and over, not just from Dave Williams, but Heidi Ganahl, who's continuing on that. There's a, there are a number of reasons she did not do much better running for governor. I think a reasonable candidate might have given Jared a run maybe not for all his money, but at least a run for his money. People are looking for alternatives, but they are not looking for election deniers. Well, it's hard to have solid candidates if you don't have money in the bank, and poor fundraising is not going to help next election. What would you advise the Colorado GOP? Well, I, I think they, well, obviously Trump, as the polls indicate nationwide, is about a 5% drag on down-ticket Republicans. Polls in Colorado show that if DeSantis were the nominee, in Colorado, he would be neck and neck with Biden, but of course Trump would lose the state by a large margin. But to the Colorado GOP's credit, they brought in a new party treasurer on April 19th who found out that their accounting and official reports filed earlier this year had been incorrect. So he got to the bottom of the problem and filed new and accurate reports. And if so if the party's going to get up off the floor, uh, accurate accounting and reporting is a good start. Yes, a little accuracy goes a long, long way. Speaking of inaccurate, Proposition HH, uh, 12 counties have now joined Advanced Colorado against the state of Colorado regarding Senate Bill 303 and Proposition HH due to single subject and clear title violations. Democrats passed this referred measure at the end of the legislative session. Voters will decide next election whether Prop HH, has, Prop HH will continue. It provides property tax relief by reducing taxpayer bill of rights or TABOR refunds. What are, the, what are the prospects for this suit, Alton? You know what, I think it stands a pretty good chance and I'm really interested to hear uh, David's take on this because single subjects has always been pretty clear and I have seen a lot of very strict interpretations of it. But also the way it sort of ties back to the TABOR discussion, you know, it sort of goes to that saying you get the government you deserve. And, you know, when people don't read what's on the ballot, something sounds like a good idea, you embed it in the state constitution, then that's what causes these kind of downstream effects. So one of the other things I've been sort of watching on this is just the overall reaction to the issue. The way people freak out when our libertarian governor does something libertarian, but then he'll our libertarian governor will do something democratic and people freak out then too. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, wrap up to this and it's going to be, I'll be keeping an eye on whether this actually gets to the voters come November. Seems to me they could have done it an easier way and that that easier way would have actually uh, comported with the, the single rules, right? What do you think? Well, I think the easier way would have been the longer way, which is really what they needed to do. They knew they knew they were on this collision course that was coming up with property taxes, pro property values rising with the end of the Gallagher Amendment. Everyone knew there was going to be trouble. And 
when something goes through the legislature at the last second, you know they're going to forget to read a line here or there. I think there was also the issue that uh, Independence Institute brought up that HH actually was already claimed. So we've got the wrong numbers, the wrong letters, first of all. You have really, really confusing rules that are going to be going to the voters who are already so confused about property tax and TABOR that even if it makes it all the way to November, and I'm with Alton, I think it might get thrown out. It is going to be so hard to explain to voters. And it's bringing back Doug Bruce. Who? Where's he been? be interesting to have him back on the stage. Oh, he is. He's talking about the assessors right now. Does the suit prevail, David? Uh, if the Colorado Supreme Court follows its precedents, the, the people of Colorado amended the Constitution to say that ballot measures have to be about a single subject. So several years after that, the Independence Institute had a proposal we wanted to put on the ballot. It said, if you have a ballot measure that raises taxes, raises spending, or raises debt, then after 10 years, those raises sunset. The Colorado Supreme Court said, oh, 10 years, but it's about 10 years, about three different things, so that's three different measures. This thing is, I don't, can't even count how many, but it's, it would be at least five. It changes property tax rates. It gives money to renters. It increases state government spending. It gradually eliminates state income tax refunds, and it changes how tax refunds are allocated uh, as they dwindle uh, over the next decade. Marianne, what, uh, what odds do you give the suit? I think I, I do believe that it's got pretty pretty good odds, um, and I did uh, write about this the other day. It, it, it actually has four different claims on the single subject. The one that I think is really going to be is going to get the court's attention is the one that says that it will appropriate money to a housing development grant fund to be used for tenant rent. That is actually in Senate Bill 303 as part of Prop HH. How does that fit under property taxes? And I, I, th I think if for no other reason, I think that could be the one that the court looks at and says, hmm, that's a little weird. Uh, you, you, you can't do that. Um, and I want to bring up to this business about Prop HH and the name of it. I asked the sponsors about this yesterday when the governor signed the bill. And uh, Representative Mike Weissman was very, very clear about this. He said, the legislation says Prop HH, so that's the way it's going to be. Okay. <laughs> you know, when you talk about... If, even if the courts aren't confused and let it through, voters thinking about what does the tenant issue have to do with property tax issues? Yeah. Well, and, and I can tell you what the tenant issue has to do with it. And this has to do with the fact that renters are going to be the ones that are paying for this property tax relief with a portion of their Tabor refunds. Now, this companion measure that came with it uh, does include an equalized Tabor refund, but that's a one-time only equalized refund. The, and for all the other out years, renters are giving up a portion of their Tabor refund to pay for property tax relief. So I know, I, I get that they threw this housing development grant fund in to sort of uh, assuage the concerns that 40% uh, of Coloradans who rent are going to have about this measure. But is it constitutional? That will be the court's decision. And time will tell. And now it's time for Disgrace of the Week and an opportunity to say something nice. Patty. Well, one of the disgraces, and it's again, last second legislation, Governor Polis has been vetoing some bills, and that's great, because one of them that he vetoed this week 
would have allowed casinos to loan money to bettors who needed more money so they could continue gambling, sports betting. I've always wondered exactly what Denver, Colorado is getting out of sports betting. You know, the water plan that's supposed to be funded. We see how well that's working. But this was a really smart veto. David. Twelve counties filed a lawsuit, uh, joined this lawsuit we've been talking about. Channel 7's headline for it was counties file suit against plan to reduce property taxes. <laughs> one, one little part of, a, of the biggest tax increase in the history of the state. Marianne. Uh, to House Republicans in Washington, shame on you for going home over, Labor Day, or over Memorial Day weekend when we have a debt ceiling crisis that is days away. Shame on you. Alton. Mine's non-legislative. People have forgotten how to drive. <laughs> <laughs> and so you add that to their never being anywhere to park. But I'm serious. People run stop signs. People don't know how to merge. You're going down the highway in the left lane, and then someone's merging four lanes over, but you have to slam on your brakes. People, I don't know if it's the pandemic or what, but just tighten up those driving skills a little bit. Even dogs are doing it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now for something nice. Well, a championship t game we're seeing here in Denver. And no, it's not just the Nuggets, but D women's lacrosse. So their game will be over by the time this is aired, but they've had a great season. Well, with all the excitement over the Denver Nuggets basketball team making the playoff, the finals for the first time ever, uh, Think back about when this franchise started in 1967 as the Denver Rockets of the American Basketball Association and all the people who made that happen. Bill Ringsby of Ringsby Trucking, the owner, uh, great stars like, like, or great good players at least, like Byron Beck, who was a, a DU grad, uh, and national level players like Spencer Haywood, Ralph Simpson, and, and uh, Coach Alex Hannum. Marianne. I'm, I'm going to jump on the Nuggets bandwagon. Uh, congratulations to the Nuggets for a phenomenal playoff series with the Lakers. And best wishes as they head into the championships. Go get them. Alton. And the thing I'm going to jump on the Nuggets bandwagon is big shout out to Charles Barkley for calling it what it is. The fact that people have been ignoring the Denver Nuggets and they spent all that time trying to figure out if LeBron's cryptic little message after he walked off after shaking maybe four hands was some kind of big retirement announcement and not concentrating on the fact that the Denver Nuggets are in their first ever national championship opportunity along with the fact that they are led by an Eastern European and a Canadian. That's all the time we have for tonight. Thank you panelists for your wonderful insights and thank you for watching Colorado Inside Out on PBS Channel 12. Check us out at pbs12.org or on our YouTube channel and have yourself a fantastic night.